I bounced around a lot between my mom and my dad, but for the majority, I lived with my dad and he was very abusive, both physically and verbally. But what he didn't realize is he was shattering my young heart every time he did that. I went to seven different schools before I got to sixth grade, and then my dad pulled me out of school and put me to work in the nursery and the tree business. I had a roommate that was an alcoholic, and so I, I've always drank throughout my life. My parents always had alcohol around, wine around. So I started drinking beer with him and I started kind of veering off into the world a little bit. I was just trying to kill every feeling inside me and I found that alcohol did that. I didn't do drugs until I was 21. I mean, I never smoked marijuana before, but out of camaraderie, I decided why not? You know, what's, what's stopping me? So I did. And that was a slippery slope. I ended up traveling all over Europe. I kept myself pretty clean, but it was when I got back from Europe that I annulled my marriage. And by that time I was smoking marijuana regularly. I met another girl and we took pills and drank alcohol and smoked marijuana. I almost lost my business because of it, because I was just, I was just out of it all the time. Going through life thinking I'm, I'm gonna die and I'm not gonna be saved, led me even more into the world. Being part of the drug industry, you're part of everything. You're part of human trafficking. You're part of sex crimes. You're part of drugs going to little kids. You're part of all this. And it was then that I realized I don't wanna do this anymore. I was killing myself, you know, and I didn't care. I was doing it on purpose. You know, because I was just, I was lost in the world. I ended up collapsing. My lungs collapsed. They had to resuscitate me. And I was in a coma for four days. And when I woke up from that coma, I realized I need to get back to God. Well, it's 2017 and a friend of ours invited us to Indiana. We decided to move into the Flats apartments here in Lebanon. I uh, started hanging out with Norma Jean. I just would see her and I could tell, you know, that's a good woman right there, a very spiritual woman. And Roger and Norma hang out a lot, so I was drawn to Roger too. And we started having a, a book club. And we started with Tahil Gibran, C.S. Lewis, but eventually we decided, why don't we just read the good book? So we started reading the Bible. I came to Eagle Church and it was there that I felt real bad about being there. But I felt the Holy Spirit. And I saw that these people were like a family. I have a soft spot for kids because I was abused as a child. And Eagle gives them what they need to fight with as Christians. And that just really impressed me. I realized that I had found my home. You were preaching the Jonah series and you had made an offer for people to come up and pray and quit running. And I was a runner. I had been running for 15, 20 years away from Christ, away from the Lord. And I broke down and I went up there and prayed. Roger came with me. I said, Roger, don't make me do this alone. And Roger said, don't worry, I'm here with you. And we walked up there. That was when I surrendered to Christ. That's when I fully accepted Christ into my heart. 
I was able, with Christ's help, the first time in a long time, I was able to take control of my life. What blows my mind about Jesus is how quickly he forgets. So I knew in my life, all the mistakes that I had made, and all the times I ran away, and all the, the drugs, the alcohol, everything that I was involved in, Jesus took all that away. And I've realized that since I've come to Eagle, that I need to honor my body. My body is my temple. Our bodies are our temples and we're all part of Christ's temple. I feel so fortunate that God didn't give up on me, that Jesus didn't give up on me, that the Holy Spirit didn't give up on me. They were there the whole time. You know, Norma and Roger and I are very close. We talk about a lot of personal stuff and it's wonderful. Being at church, just being there to hear the sermon, to sing the songs, that's what's important to me now. My life before doesn't matter anymore. It's gone and over with. This is my new life. And these are my new friends and family. And that's what matters most to me. How about a round of applause for James Henry and sharing your story with us, brother? Thank you for your transparency and honesty and you know, I want to ask a question like, what's the, what's the explanation for James Henry's story? Like, how, how do you explain a life that's changed like that? How is addiction broken like that? How is depression lifted? How is it that a guy's going one way with his life and then all of a sudden is going another way with his life? How does that happen? Well, I'm really glad you asked because that's what we're going to be talking about. I want you, if you have a Bible with you, open it up to Luke 24. Because this is the core explanation for James Henry's life, and I would argue probably a lot of other lives in this room, right? Why we're here. Luke 24 says it this way, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, so kind of like this morning, for those of you who were up early and got to see the sunrise, did you see the mist kind of hovering this morning and the dew covering the grass? That's what it was like for Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Mary Magdalene, the women to come very early in the morning. The woman took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. Why spices? Because in that day and age, if you had a loved one pass away, you expressed your love and devotion, appreciation for who they were in your life by bringing spices to the grave to help push back the aroma of death. So they were bringing spices. But what they were expecting to see isn't what they actually saw. Anybody been there? Where you thought one thing and then God stepped in, so they're coming with spices ready to push back death. Verse 2, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Now, wait a minute. Where they left off, right, on Silent Saturday was that stone, which is really large, those day above-ground tombs. Think of them as large caves formed out of a rock, and they would roll a massive stone over the front to seal the odor inside that cave. And then the leaders, the Roman leaders, were so concerned about this, they placed a guard 24-7 over this tomb. They want to make sure this, no one's coming and messing with Jesus of Nazareth in that tomb because they wanted to shut the Jesus train down. 
They were doing everything they could to silence this Messiah. So one final act on Friday when they thrust him on the cross and they drove those spikes and they thrust that spear and he breathed his last and he said it is finished in Herod, in Pontius Pilate, in Caesar. They let out a big sigh of relief. It's finished. He's finished. Tomb sealed. That's where Mary and Mary and James and John and everyone else, that's where they left the tomb. And now Mary and Mary on the first day of the week, when the mist is still hovering and the dew still on the grass, they walk up and that stone has been rolled away. And what they find is this, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. This is not your average graveside visit. You with me? You go and visit the tomb and you pay your respects and something's changed, bright light and two men speaking to them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, I imagine so. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. So, so church, the core explanation for James Henry's story and the explanation for all the rest of us in this room who've seen change happen in our life, who've seen things that were going one way go this way, the core explanation for that story is this. James Henry met the resurrected Christ, and not just some things changed, everything changed. Because when you meet Jesus, genuinely and personally, things will change. You will not stay status quo. You can't stay doing what you've always been doing, going the way you've always been going. When you meet Jesus one way or another, things are going to change. And on this day, right, when those ladies walk up, and notice they see the stone rolled away. Don't miss this part of the story. The stone was rolled away not to let Jesus out. He's already out. The stone was rolled away to let Mary and Mary and everyone else in to look and see the grave clothes folded up and the body's not there and the footprints are going out. Right there, the stone's rolled away. Jesus has already exited and now there's a panic, right, rippling through the Roman kingdom. Caesar and Herod and Pontius Pilate, I guarantee you whatever they had on their agenda that day, it just changed because here's what they know. Uh, we laid Jesus there. Any scholar who spent any time objectively studying this, they don't even have to be on the Jesus bandwagon, just objectively study this. There's really no debate that Jesus of Nazareth was brutally beaten and crucified. Eyewitnesses, hundreds and hundreds of them, written accounts. There's really not a debate on that. There's really not a debate that he was laid in a tomb dead, that that tomb was signed, sealed, and delivered by the Roman leaders. They didn't do anything by accident back in that day. There's not a debate that Jesus was killed, that he was laying in that tomb dead, and there's really not a debate on this. On the third day, Jesus of Nazareth rose from the dead and walked out of the grave. They cannot find his body because there is no body to find. Like if you want to shut the Jesus train down, just show the body. Just find the body. Do you think there's been some motivation in 2,000 years to find the body? Do you think there's some groups who'd love to shut the Jesus train down? 
There's no body to find. And church, this is the one day, the theme we've been working through all of Lent, right? One day, any ordinary day can become a one day, right? A one day can be a day of devastation on Friday, and a one day on Easter Sunday. This is the one day when God puts hope, capital H, on the map, and he puts it on the map to stay. This raises hope to a whole new level. Because here's, here's, a, here's what we all know about ourselves as humans. We're all hopers at our core. You know, you outgrow a lot of things, but you never outgrow hope. It's part of what it means to be a person. So if I were to ask you this morning, what are you hoping for these days? What would you say? You know, some of you may be hoping for a breakthrough on the job front. Maybe you recently lost a job and you're, you're hoping for a new job. Or maybe you're hoping for a new promotion. Or, or maybe you're hoping for a financial breakthrough. Some times have really gotten tough with a bank account. You're hoping for some provision there. Or maybe you're hoping for some health to be returned to your body or the body of a loved one. Or, or maybe you're hoping for a relationship to, to really go somewhere. You're hoping to meet that someone. Maybe you're hoping to get married someday. And, or maybe you're married and you're hoping to have kids someday. Or, or maybe you're married and you have kids and you hope to raise them well someday. Or maybe you're married and you have kids and you've raised them and, you, and you're hoping they leave the house someday. <laughs> but we're all hoping for something, right? We outgrow a lot of things. But we really don't outgrow hope. Do you know the Center for Disease Control in the United States recently released the data that the average lifespan for Americans has going, is going down for the third consecutive year. First time in a hundred years. And it's not because of cancer or heart disease. Those, those deaths are actually going down. Do you know why our life expectancy is on the decline for three straight years? Suicide. Drug crisis. Opioid. Alcohol-related deaths. Do you know that the researchers have come up with a phrase to embody what's really causing the declining life expectancy for Americans these days? They're calling it the diseases of despair. Man, as a pastor, when I read that, oh, Lord, we're going somewhere with that now. You kidding me? Diseases of despair. The suicide rate, drug abuse, alcohol-related deaths, opioid crisis, all of that tripled in the last 20 years. Tripled. We're literally dying from hopelessness. Because here's what we have to be honest about with the subject of hope. There are some things in our life that we experience that we're greatly hoping for that simply don't come to pass. Like, like we're hoping for things and that reality doesn't pan out. And, and when you when you hit that place, it can be a, a, a deep place of despair. This is Mary and Mary and James and John and all the disciples. This is their Friday and their Saturday. They, they had put their hope that Jesus was going to come through and break through and release the oppression and turn away all the injustice and set them free from the Romans. They were hoping for a new everyday reality. And then Friday came. And they looked at it and they said, how is it that the Romans are strutting around? How is it that the spikes are driven in? How come all the bloodshed? How could Jesus be hanging there screaming, breathing his last and saying it is finished? See, everything they were hoping for, that wasn't in the equation. 
They knew Jesus was the Son of God. They knew he was the Messiah. They knew that he had come to save. What they could have pieced together was dying. In a sense, on Friday and Saturday, their hopes were crushed with every blow from the Roman soldiers, whether the whips from the flogging or the spikes on the cross or the spear in the side, their hopes were being crushed. In a sense, the proverbial nail in the hope coffin when he was laid in that grave. And for some of you, that's where this Easter morning finds you. You're in the middle of some personal circumstances of your life where your hopes have been consistently crushed, where what you've been hoping for, for various reasons, isn't coming to fruition. It's not going anything like you imagined. And when you get to that place, right, Here's the, here's the danger. The danger is we can go down a road called despair when we try to just power through it in our own wisdom and strength. We try to just bury all the heartache and all the pain. We try to numb it. We try to run. We try to escape. We end up going down this disease of despair. Or what we're going to look at for the rest of the message is, or perhaps it's God's way of saying, Maybe we should sift the question from what am I hoping for and shift it to what am I hoping in. How many of you enjoyed Coach Reich last Sunday? Did you guys enjoy Frank? Didn't he do a great job? It was great having so many of you here who hadn't been a part of the church. We had like four to 500 guests last Sunday. And it was a really, uh, just a really meaningful service all the way around. And I, th- I appreciated Frank's honesty and transparency. He stood right here until I walked him to his car at 1 o'clock. He didn't move. And many of you who were a part of those conversations and prayers, I mean, that's the kind of stuff, who you are when no one's looking, right? That's not covered on the news feeds and on NFL.com. But that's, I think, a true integrity of a person, right? How grateful we are as a city to have leadership like that in place. I know I'm super grateful for that. This is my 25th season to serve as chaplain of the Colts. And so many great relationships and memories. So, some of you in the room today, just it's great, it's great that we get to share this journey together. And one of the shared journeys we had back in 2007 was really special. Because we got to go to a Super Bowl together and we got to win a Super Bowl. And the Ursay family was so generous, they gave me one of these. So everybody's ring has faith on it, not just the chaplain's ring, by the way. The Ursay family gave a ring. They, put, they believed everybody in the organization contributed to helping win the Super Bowl. So the groundskeeper, the chef, the janitor, the chaplain, everybody got a Super Bowl ring. So it wasn't too many months after I got my Super Bowl ring that I received a phone call from a friend who said, um, Pastor Eric, could you come and do a funeral for a family member? And the funeral is down in Tampa, Florida. I was glad to go and do that. And he said, could you bring your Super Bowl ring with you? Because there was a large group of people coming to the gathering who had Colts connections, and they thought that it would be a way to kind of help the spirit and environment uh, of the gathering. And so I said, sure. So I packed my bags, and I headed to Tampa. I flew down there. 
and uh, I went to baggage claim area, and I got my bags, and my friend picked me up at the airport, and we're leaving the airport, and I start having that, you know, you have that feeling when you're driving away, and you're kind of doing a mental check, like, do I have everything? And I looked around, and I don't have my shoulder bag. I don't have it. I'm just kind of scouring the car and all that, and I turned to my friend. I said, ah, I think I left my shoulder bag in baggage claim. I said, could you turn around and go back? He said, sure. And he, he says, ah. I said, ah. And he could tell I was a little fidgety. And he goes, what'd you have in there? I said, well, I had my wallet. I had a bag of M&Ms <laughs> and a Super Bowl ring. And right there, my friend's face turned as white as my Indiana legs in January. <laughs> Sorry for that image, gang, but had to leave you with that one. And he turned the rental car into a rocket ship. i never seen how quickly we could return to the baggage claim area. I walk into the baggage claim area, I'm scouring, I'm kind of retracing my steps, and it's not there. The bag's not there. Go up to a security person, explain the situation, said, I'm looking for this kind of a bag. Is there a lost and found type bag area? And she points me to a security office area where they store all the lost and found luggage type things. So I go down this hallway, find this office, and I, I walk in the office, and there's a security guard sitting there at a desk, and he looks up at me. How can I help you? I said, I just explain the situation and ask if there had been a bag turned in, and I described the bag to him. And he's like, oh, let me check. Didn't seem super motivated to find anything, actually. But he's like, let me check, and then goes behind the wall, the little door there, and he comes back out, and he has the bag. And he says, is this yours? Says, That's my bag. And he says, well, and it was kind of the, the zippers were all opened up. And so he's like, ah, he goes, we see these all the time. He said, we got all these like, you know, petty thief type things going on in the airport. They just go through, they take all the good stuff out. And they leave all the, you know, stuff that nobody cares about left behind for us to go through. He said, looks like someone's gone through your bag. And he's holding it like this. And he said, I hope there's nothing too valuable in there. I said, well, there's my wallet was in there. I had some cash and ID and stuff like that. So there's a bag of peanut M&Ms in there. And there's a Super Bowl ring. I kid you not, right there at that moment, the security guard, he like, his whole posture changed. He like, he goes, what did you say? I said, there was, a, there was a Super Bowl ring in there. And he goes, as in the, like NFL, large, bling, lots of diamonds, Super Bowl ring? I said, yeah, yeah, one of those. See, right there in his head, he's like, how is a guy with that physique possessing <laughs> one of those? I, I could see the thing going on in his head, right? So I said, yeah, one of those. And he, he literally, he takes the bag, he's got it like this in his hands, and he hands it across the desk like it's loaded with explosives. He like just goes like this. And he hands it to me. And I reach down inside, of course, and I reach down and I feel this. And then I open it up. At this point, he gets on his walkie-talkie. And he calls the entire security personnel in the Tampa airport together. <laughs> there was nobody doing their jobs for the next 15 minutes because it was a photo shoot in this guy's little office <laughs> around uh, the ring itself here. 
I started thinking back. I, I looked around in my bag a little more. Guess what was missing? There was no M&Ms. <laughs> the peanut M&Ms were gone. Now, that's a sermon for another day, but there's got to be a conversation about how we settle for peanut M&Ms when God's got a ring like this. Like, how does that happen? My wallet was still there. Cash was out of the wallet, but the wallet was still there, and the ring was still there. I'm convinced the Lord just kind of placed his hand somehow, right, just supernaturally over the ring. Now, listen. The feeling I had driving away from the airport when I grasped that my bag wasn't with me and that it was missing, and the pit in my stomach when the security personnel were explaining how they just have a lot of thieves and it's just like hopeless. Like, okay, that right there, that's just a small window into Crucifixion Friday. Like that's what the early disciples were feeling around Jesus' cross and tomb. And then the feeling and emotion that I had when I reached in and felt the box and opened it up and saw it was there, that's just a small window into Mary and Mary on Resurrection Sunday at the tomb when the stones rolled away, when what you're hoping for comes to fruition. Aren't those great moments in life? But here's what I think happened for Mary and Mary when they walked up to that tomb. I think something began to shift inside of them when they realized their hopes were being crushed on Friday and Saturday, and when they got to the tomb on Sunday, here's what I think happened. I think they began to move from what am I hoping for to what am I hoping in. Because there's something significant that happens when we start thinking deeply about putting our hope in. This is what the Bible, so Bible speaks about hope this way. I put a few verses on your notes there, and they'll be up here on your screen. Here's how the Bible speaks to the issue of hope and challenges us to shift our question from hoping for to hoping in. Isaiah 40, 31, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Anybody need some strength today? The Bible says you put your hope in the Lord. You see that? Psalm 33, 20, we put our hope in the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Psalm 42, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? I love the honesty of the Bible. Some of you in places where you're downcast, some of you feel where you're depressed, where you feel covered up under a weight of all kinds of stuff. The Psalms are amazing honesty. They bring all that stuff to God. He's not denying that he's downcast. We're not denying that we're emotional beings. We're not denying that we're in a tough place. But in that tough place, what are we gonna put our hope in? Put your hope in God. Do you see that? Not hoping for my circumstances to change, but putting hope in God. And then 1 Timothy 6, 17, this is an amazing verse in the New Testament. Paul says this to Timothy, command those who are rich in this present world. And some of you right now are going, well, I'm exempt from that. Well, let me help you out here. So if you make $30,000 or more a year, you're in the top 1% of wealth in our world. So I would suggest We're all in that line, those rich in this present world. Not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth. Do you see that? Which is so uncertain, but to put their hope where? In God. Do you see that? 
So the Bible question is this, not what are you hoping for? The Bible question is what are you hoping in? This is where Jesus was always walking around and he was trying to help people think deeply about what they're putting their hope in. Because the human condition is we can put our hope in things that are just, they may be good, but they're just not going to last. We can put our hope in things that are not going to come through in the end. We're going to put our hope in things where the bottom's going to drop out. And Jesus was always trying to draw attention to the temptation to put our hope in the temporal when the eternal is available. I'd like to think of perhaps Jesus walking around and, and having a conversation like this when he started talking about hope. I I think he would say, you know, this is a house. Houses are good. In our community, we have amazing houses. Like in Zionsville, when you drive around Zionsville, are you kidding me? There's some neighborhoods that are like magazines. I was with a family a few years ago, and I was visiting them at their house, and I was talking about how beautiful their house was. And she quickly said to me, oh, there's a whole wing of the house we haven't been to in a year. Really? I mean, big, beautiful, amazing. There's nothing wrong with having a beautiful house. Just don't forget that one day, it's going in there. Or how about cars? I mean, some of you, right? I mean, some of you really, you're riding around in some nice wheels now. I don't get to scan the church parking lot much, but I've heard. How about our community? Like, I grew up in central Iowa, and when someone got like a Mercedes or a Beamer, you know, or a Porsche, like, it was a talk of the town. Like, everyone knew their mom or dad had gotten a big promotion or something. Like, we'd we'd go, like, find their house and just go look at it. And now, like, in Zionsville, you just go to the high school parking lot. (laughs) Like, it's crazy. Listen, you students, this is not reality. Like, you're in a bubble, Okay. You should not be rolling around high school and what you're rolling around, a good percentage of you. Like, are you kidding me? And then this is like a, this is a Porsche, a model Porsche. There's like one in the CVS lot down in town. Somebody's for sale by owner. Crazy fast, crazy nice, crazy beautiful car. It's not bad to have a nice car. Just don't forget one day. It's going in there. Or how about these? Like, man, aren't these valuable? Even the ones from IU. <laughs> this is not my diploma. This is Justin Langebartle's diploma. And if you ask Justin, he worked really, really hard for this diploma. And he spent a lot of money for this diploma. And Jana would say amen over and over. Diploma's a good thing, right? We have the amazing. How about the conversation in our culture today? People will go to amazing lengths to get to just the right school, to have just the right degree, right? It's not bad to have, diplomas are good. Kids, it's good to get a diploma. Pastor is encouraging you to get your diploma, okay? But here, here, careful now. Just don't forget that at the end of the day, or how about this? Cold, hard cash. This ain't Monopoly money either. I said to our finance department, I want cold, hard, real cash. Money. Right? All the things that can happen and we do with money. Money's important. Money's good. It's okay even if you have a lot of it. It's not wrong to have a lot of money, but just 
can't forget that at the end of the day, <laughs> the end of the day, it's going. You know, these things are amazing, right? There's, ob- there's no explanation for a guy like me with a physique like I have to wear this thing. So I've only worn it once in public, and it created a big scene in the restaurant I was in. And so it just sits in a display case. It's really nice to have these things. It's nice to look at and take pictures of. It's very generous of the Ursae family to give them to all of us. But you know what Jesus would want to make sure I and we don't forget? Some of you are about to throw up right now. (laughs) See, Jesus said, it's a really big deal what you put your hope in. It matters. And the temptation of the human condition is we move to things that are, they're okay, they're good. They're just temporary In the end, they're not going to last. They're not going to be here 100 years from now. And Jesus says, look, you can build your life on yourself. You can build it on the stuff that's not going to last. You can do that. But be careful. You could be opening up the gateway to despair because eventually you're going to hit a place in life where that kind of stuff, that's not going to sustain. That's not going to carry. That's not going to matter. When you're sitting beside the bedside of a loved one, when you're there on those last breaths, when you've been given some news you never imagined given, when the pain factor hits a place in life you never imagined hearing, here's what the invitation Jesus says. You can put your hope in God. You can put your hope in the one who stared death in the face and says, checkmate, you're finished. That hope wins. Grace wins. Life wins. Love wins because Jesus rolled the stone away, and walked out of the grave and issues the invitation to any person anywhere. You can put your hope in God. And if you'll do that, you'll find that's a hope with deep roots, with a substance that will be there to sustain you no matter what life brings your way. Because here's what we all know about ourselves in this room. Life is going to come hard. Life is hard, gang. Some of you got a PhD in that in this room. Life is hard. And in that space, God says, think deeply now. Maybe move from what are you hoping for, shift it now and say, what am I hoping in? And the invitation is, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've gone, you can put your hope in God. And today of all days says, that's a hope that will sustain, not just today, not just tomorrow, it will sustain beyond the grave. So worship team, why don't you come back up? Here's how we're going to wrap this up today. You know, a big part of Easter is at some point for Easter to become powerful in someone's life, it has to get personal. For Easter to be powerful, it must be personal. 
And for some of you, you've come, and it's great having you here as our guests, and maybe you come because someone drug you here or because someone bribed you with a great lunch after, whatever it is, but you're here, and maybe you've heard all these stories before, and you knew the kinds of songs we were going to sing. You, you could finish the gap and all of it, but, but if you were honest, it's never really been personal. And so my question to you is, why not today? Why not today? Why not today you make a decision to say, you know what? I'm going to shift from putting my hope in a lot of other things, and I'm going to put my hope in God. I want to give my heart to Jesus. You know, you can do that today. Or maybe for others of you, you've been around the church a long time, and maybe you, you remember a time when you used to have a lot more personal walk with God. It was a lot more meaningful, and there was a sense of nearness with God, and Today brings back memories of what used to be. Do you know what today you can decide? You can decide and do what James Henry did last May. You can just decide right now, I'm done running. Today's the day where runners can come home. You just turn around and come home. You just come back. You know the way. You know the path. You just say, I'm turning around and I'm coming home. I'm done running. Or maybe others of you are here and you're just under a blanket of despair in a way that you just, you're kind of overwhelmed with the weight of everyday life. You can't see how you're going to get through what you're going through. And so, you know, today the invitation is you can let Jesus hope literally place his arms underneath you and lift you from this place of despair and depression and darkness and uncertainty. You can put your hope in Jesus today. And he can breathe some strength in you like Isaiah 40 says. Those who, those who renew their strength, they hope in the Lord. And so the team's going to lead through a song here. And I just want to position the question to you is, where is God stirring and speaking in your heart this Easter Sunday? And then towards the end of the song, I'm going to come up and I'm going to lead us through a prayer prayer where you can make Easter personal, perhaps for the first time in your life. A prayer where you can come back to your roots and foundation. You can just say, I'm stop running, I'm coming home. Or a prayer where you can just bring your current broken life and you just say, you know what, I need you to breathe that strength, resurrection strength into me. I'm going to lead us through a prayer in each of those categories in the midst of this song. Because this one day, this is the one day when hope, hope stands renewed. Not what we're hoping for, but today we talk about not just what, but who we're hoping in. Amen.
redeemed, only beauty remains. My orphan heart was given a my morning grew quiet, my feet rose to dance. When death was arrested and my life began. Oh, your grace so free washes over me. this Easter 2019, you want to make Easter personal. Simply just pray quietly in your heart, Jesus, save me. I know I'm a sinner. I know I've done things I'm not proud of. I know I've wandered. I believe you died on a cross. I believe you rose from the dead. I believe you made a way when there seemed to be no way. And right now, I just call out to you, Jesus, save me. I give you my life. Come fill me with your spirit. I want to live for you. You just pray that right where you're at. Don't be concerned about the specific words expressed in your heart, just that core conviction, Jesus, save me. And then I want to invite those of you who you remember a time when you prayed a prayer like that. You remember a time when you used to be a lot closer to the Lord, and today's a day where you just want to say, God, I'm done running. I'm done running, and I'm come home. And I want to get back to my roots. And I thank you that you never give up on me. And you just speak from your heart to him. Say, God, I'm done running. I want to come home. Just take that image now of the father in Luke 15 of the prodigal son. Or just You've been wandering away. Just He welcomes you back in. You turn your face towards him. You find out his face has always been turned towards you in love. And, and then lastly, 
Maybe there's some in the room, you just come in and this Easter season finds you in a period of kind of crushing hopes one after another. And I just pray that you would right now just work the anchor of your life and just move it to anchor squarely in the hope that Jesus offers, that he would breathe his strength into you. He would breathe peace into you, wisdom, provision, clarity. It would help lift your eyes up to see that Friday doesn't get the last word and Saturday gets the last word. Today, Sunday gets the last word. The Father gets the last word and says, rise and live. And so may you sense that strength from the Spirit inside of you now. God, we just thank you so much for the privilege of stewarding this story. You're amazing, Lord, what you've done on our behalf. We worship you. We turn our hearts to you. We give the fullness of our attention to you. Collectively, right now, we make a decision to put our hope in God. Thank you, Jesus, for making a way. In Christ's name. Savior displayed on the criminal's cross. Darkness rejoiced as though heaven had lost. But then Jesus arose with the freedom in That's when Have a seat.
The ushers are going to come. We've got one final song to send us out on today. We're going to receive our tithes, our offerings, a communication card. If you're a guest with us, you don't need to feel any obligation to participate in the offering itself, but if you would like to, you can do a text-to-give option. Um, there's also some information in your program about that, and then just as our way as a church family of giving back uh, based on all that God's done for us, we want to steward every resource He gives us for His glory. And then the communication card. If you prayed with me there at the end, especially those of you who prayed for the first time to saying, hey, you know what? I wanted Easter, Easter to be personal for the first time in my life this year. Would you just make a note of that on the card? I'd love to personally follow up with you and just kind of connect and talk about some next steps in, in your walk that way. And so ushers are going to come forward. The team's going to lead us through a song, and then I'll release us with a benediction. Ushers, come.
between death and life and there on a tree the lamb of god was crucified and he went on down to hell he took back every key he rose up
That's a hope with deep roots. That's what it means to put your hope in God. That will sustain you. That will carry you. That will be there when you need it to be there. So glad you chose to be a part of our Easter gathering today. If you're a guest with us, I'd love to meet you. I'll be hanging out down here at the front. If you'd come say hello or if you'd like some prayer, if there's some things you'd like to pray with someone about, please make sure make your way down front. There's a guest central area on your way out. We've got some free stuff to give you. So it's a great day to be a guest. You can get a gift bag, which got some cool free stuff in it and some folks there to say hello to you. And again, thanks for being a part of this gathering today. And I want to send you out now with a benediction. John 11, here's what Jesus said. At the graveside of a good friend named Lazarus, he said this, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. So may the resurrected Christ, may he bless you with life in your inmost being. May you walk out of this service today filled with living hope, resurrection hope. Go as a resurrected people in Jesus' name.